Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you are having an amazing day so far today. We have an awesome guest. He is a lifestyle business mentor and high-performance life coach. He is an author and a TEDx speaker, and he's also a distinguished Toastmaster, and he's the former partner and chief operating officer of a multi-million dollar retail company. So let's welcome Dai Manuel. How are you doing today, Dai? I'm doing great, Victor. It's such a pleasure to meet you. I know we've been conversing back and forth on various platforms, but now to finally have that face-to-face, well, I'm just honored to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and your audience. Uh, thank you. And it's a great pleasure to have you on, too. So I'm really looking forward to having this discussion with you. So, Dan, I'd like to get started by asking you to so please share your story. How did you uh, become an entrepreneur? Well, you know, Victor, I, I I was born and, you know, day two of my life, I was like, you know what I want to be when I grow up? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, cause isn't it funny how as entrepreneurs, I, I think we all have an origin story, but it's not like we set out as kids saying, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be an entrepreneur. Well, at least yeah. I didn't even know what that was as a kid. Okay. To be honest, but here's the thing. If we think about nature and nurturing and how that helps bring us to who we are, you know, that idea of we have a certain amount of DNA in us that comes from both of our parents. And then we also have that nurturing environment that we grow up within. It often inspires us to, to possibilities that maybe we never even considered. And to be fair, my parents were very entrepreneurial and I grew up watching them build their own thing. And when I mean by their own thing, my dad he, he was a veterinarian and he built one of the, the largest vet practices privately owned and operated in Canada. And so watching him do that throughout his career was really inspiring. But mind you, it was a bit imbalanced because his, his business as an entrepreneur took up a big chunk of his life. And, and to be fair, it was one of the contributing factors of why him and my mother ended up separating and ultimately divorcing when I was about 10 years old. And um, But, you know, I, I don't begrudge him for that. It's just the path that he followed. And now my mom, though, on the opposite side was always someone with a side hustle always she had a career but she was always doing that side hustle and so growing up in that kind of an environment it, it left me very uh inspired to to pursue my own ideas and as well as to embrace this idea of ownership and and the work ethic that comes with it so a, a big reason why i ended up where i am is is largely due to that that early days watching my parents no, awesome. And and I, and I found out that a number of entrepreneurs who parents were entrepreneurs like yourself, um, they were inspired by watching their parents because that's what they saw. So, of course, there are many others who didn't have parents that were entrepreneurs and they, their journey is a little bit different. But, you know, you watch your parents, your dad with a veterinarian, um, your mom, you know, had, had a career and also constantly had a side hustle, you know, all the time. Mm. And you watch and you were inspired by them. And you took ownership uh, of it. So uh, at what time did you start your journey of becoming an entrepreneur? Obviously, you inspired by your parents, but when did you get started yourself? You know, I, I mean, like a, a lot of kids, I had a paper route, <laughs> you know, so so doing my own thing, delivering papers to earn my own money. I mean, that was I was, I don't know, 11, 12 years old when I started that. And uh, then early on, you know, when I was 15, I got a, a job as a, a basically in a kitchen at a restaurant. Right. And, and so this idea of earning my own keep was something that was instilled in me early on. And, and as well as that hard work ethic, you know, I'd always treated every business I've ever worked in. I've always assumed a role that 
Well, I took ownership of every position I was in, whether I was in an owner equity position or not, I treated it as such. And I think that was a really unique thing for a lot of the employers that I ended up working for was because I had this certain way of looking at things, but this way of showing up. And, and I loved being mentored. I loved having good habits modeled to me because I would emulate that, you know, just like I emulated my parents' work ethic, you know, put me into any role. I was a bit of a chameleon where I would try to adapt and, and very quickly learn as much as I could. So I could excel because for me, it was all about that, that I, I got great fulfillment from that in itself. And, uh, you know, eventually once I got into my late teens, I, I discovered personal training and this idea of selling services for, for dollars. Um, of course it's not very scalable. And I figured that out within the first few years, especially while I was trying to navigate part-time running my own PT business, but also, uh, managing my degree at university. And I realized it was a struggle. You know, it was really hard to try to find this idea of balance because everyone kept talking about it. I remember diving into David Allen's teachings, getting things done and that whole methodology and thinking, gosh, this sounds great. I just can never make it work. <laughs> you know, it was always I had more commitments than I had time and which led me to an understanding that I got to manage commitments, not manage time. You know, and uh, look at what I say yes to, because inevitably I would say yes to too many things. And then it would I'd have to say no to a bunch of other things that I'd rather be doing. So fortunately for me in my early 20s, I learned that lesson. And uh, eventually I, I, I found a great position working in a performance based pay structure. Now, for those entrepreneurs and those, especially those that are self-employed or in a high performance pay environment where you're paid on production and performance, that was new to me. Everything I had before that was hourly. You know, so it was like, I work an hour, I get paid a certain amount, but that was it. You know, there was no scaling. There was no growing. It was like, oh, I could work more hours, make a little bit more money, but at what cost? You know, it, it was uh, heavily affects my lifestyle as well as my health and mental health in particular, if we want to go down that space as well. But, you know, I, I learned that on early on, right? Uh, that this idea of scalability means me having to be able to take better control of my time and how I, what I do with my time. And, uh, Man, I excelled. I was like, wow. So you mean, and it was fitness equipment, right? So I was selling fitness equipment. I wasn't selling fitness anymore. I was providing people with the, the, the vision of what life could look like if they took control of their health. And then I would provide them the tools that best help them get there. And I would be rewarded for the tools that I would sell, you know? And, and so this was amazing. I was like, so the more people I help to get healthy, the more you're going to pay me? And they're like, yeah. I was like, okay, watch out. Here I go. And uh, I excelled very quickly at that. And to the point that uh, the one of the partners in the company, or I should say the joint venture partner of that operation across Canada, took me under his wing. And uh, eventually I moved into an equity position to form a new company. And uh, that's when I really got to take ownership uh, to a different level because now I was in an ownership equity position. I really wasn't having to act as an owner. I really was an owner. And, uh, and that was kind of fun too, because it, I had to learn a lot of new skills as such as we were scaling up our company to eight figures a year. And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot to learn, uh, a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, when you scale, you learn fast or else you fail. <laughs> so, so I was put into a high pressure environment. But man, was it fun. And uh, it really set me up for my second half of adult life, uh, which we can explore later if we want. Uh, some good stuff. Yeah. So you shared your story. You, you did the paper when you were a kid, like a lot of kids do. And then at mm -hmm. 15, you worked in a restaurant. You did a bunch of different jobs and you learned. You always took ownership of whatever position you did in. So you took it seriously. 
And I, and you say your employees were always impressed by that. And you always showed up, you know, always ready to do work. And what I like about you is like, even as a young person, you love being mentored. All, every successful person I've ever met is coachable and loves to be mentored. It's so much easier when you get a mentor. When you try to do it on your mm -hmm. own, it's dozens of times harder. So, um, and I'm and, and I'm glad you know you you learned at a young age, and I'm sure that really helped you with your learning curve. And you know you like to copy others, and I like the fact you're a chameleon. A chameleon, you like to learn a little bit from everyone else, and you're adaptable. So it reminds me of Bruce Lee because he had this yeah. uh, martial arts style called Jeet Kune Do, which is like he would be very flexible. He wasn't just focused on one style of Kung Fu. And he says that was the, the weakness in a lot of styles of Kung Fu. It was very rigid and unflexible. So he tried to be flexible. So he kind of used a little bit of a lot of different styles. So it's true. And, very you know, true. Be like water. Very, exactly. Be like water. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, then um, in your late stage, you went into personal trainings and selling services. And you realized this was not scalable after a while. You could not find balance. You, are, you had a lot going on. You had you came to a point which happens a lot, but you had a lot more commitments than you had time. And you was <laughs> yeah. apparently you were saying that to too many things. So you, you had to learn to say no to certain other things. Mm -hmm. So eventually you uh, came across uh, a job, which up until now, you usually been paid hourly. And uh, this mm -hmm. is a big shift in mindset. You, you were doing something that was performance-based, so the pay structure. So basically you were selling fitness equipment. You realize you help people with their lives. You give them this vision how their lives can be developed by you. And and they want their lifestyle. You sell these equipments, and you realize that the more you sell, the more money you can make. And and you're like saying, "Wow, this is cool!" So I can actually make more. I'm not just stuck at a certain amount per hour. If I sell more, I can make more. And that really got. And you know, coming from an entrepreneurial background, I must have like really clicked in for you. And then um, and so you went to do that. Eventually, uh, as you were doing good work, you went to an equity position and you became an owner and you were in this company, you scaled to eight figures. And you, and basically you said you, in scaling, you need to learn faster, you fail. So uh, that must have been quite, you know, quite the journey. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit of one. Yeah. So, you know, what I like yeah. you to talk about in, in this journey, and then we'll go into the second mm -hmm. part is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, personal training. Talk about the importance of uh your personal development and mindset, because it, mm. it, it seems to stop a lot of people, and, you know, especially if yeah. you want to be a peak performance. But so talk a little about the importance of that. Well, I, I think it often boils down to this relationship we have with change. And change is interesting because, you know, sometimes it comes when we want it, but more often than not, it comes when we don't want it. And depending on when change presents itself in our lives, we sometimes can feel like we might be a victim of our circumstances and the change isn't wanted, but it's happening anyways. And so it's really easy to feel like, oh gosh, I'm a victim of this change. I don't want it. I want to fight against it. But this is the thing about change. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. It's the only universal law that we know to be 100% certain. You know, Buddha said it 2,500 years ago, nothing is the same. Nothing stays the same. It's like the universe is impermanent. And what's been interesting is science in the last 100 years have proved Buddha to be correct. <laughs> you know, science has said, yeah, you know what? Everything is actually just a bunch of space and moving molecules, whether we can tell or not from the naked eye, but everything's constant flux, constantly changing. Now, when you accept that as a, as a, a given, as a truth, if you will, you start to look at your relationship with that truth, with change and change management in our own lives. And I am very fortunate that at an early age, whether I liked it or not, I was challenged enough that I had to develop a healthier relationship around change and how it showed up in my life. 
And what I mean by that is, you know, when my parents separated and divorced when I was quite young, you know, just before I was 10, um, during that period of time, there wasn't a lot of resources available for kids like myself. You know, I, I'll date myself right now. I'm almost 46. So I'm going back 35 years, right? 36 years. And 36 years ago, the statistics were that more marriages were successful than failed. Well, now it's more than the opposite, right? We have more relationships that fail than that succeed. And which makes it a much less stigma, uh, less stigmas, less negative uh, associations with this idea. But also there's more resources and support around that. I didn't have that. And unfortunately, at the time, I felt like a victim of my circumstance. And I was searching for something to create uh, consistency, to feel like I had some control in my life. And unfortunately for me, that turned out to be food, video games, and movies. And it's not like I was sitting around eating lots of salads, Victor, okay? I was eating a lot of very foods that created emotional response, made me feel good in the moment, but didn't make me feel good long-term. So as I tell people, they were very high in calories, but very poor in nutrition value. And as such, you know, that's what I did. I ate my emotions, but I also would watch uh, movies and play video games to escape, to distract myself from all the, the stresses that were in my life. And I carried on that way for almost five years. So as you can imagine, you know, at, at almost 15 years old, the doctor pulled my mom aside when we went to the doctor's office for my checkup. And he's like, you know, Betty Ann, die is morbidly obese. Now, at the time, I didn't know what morbidly meant, nor obese, but it didn't sound good. <laughs> I knew it, there was a problem here, but I, I already knew that I was struggling with a lot of mental health challenges, uh, social anxiety, depression, um, and, and, and a lot of other negative thoughts just based on my circumstances. Weirdest thing happened, and I, I know I can say it's weird because I wasn't like I was seeking change, but change sort of landed in front of me and, and I locked onto it. And what I mean by that was, I'm just going to bluntly say this, you know, I, I was more afraid of not changing than I was of the idea of changing. So it wasn't until I got more afraid of not getting healthy that I finally got healthy, you know? So at 15, I started to envision what I'd look like at 20, what life would be like. I started thinking about, I just wanted a girlfriend. You know, a lot of people ask me, what was your motivation for getting healthy? Well, to be honest, I wanted somebody else to want me for who I was. I wanted a girlfriend and I wanted someone to see value in me. And, you know, we could sit and try to nitpick that all day long. Trust me, my, my psychologist did so many, many moons ago. <laughs> and I'm not here for that session. Um, but I could definitely share what became very aware for me was this idea that, you know, my health was something that I had complete control over. So I could either get a little bit healthier or I could keep doing what I was doing. And, and I was like, you know what? I don't know how to do it. And to be honest, I don't know what I need to do first to get healthy, but I know why I want to get healthy. And that why is enough for me to get started. And, and that's what I did. I had to educate myself on how to get healthy, how to be fit, how to be, how to eat well, you know, eat. So I get nutrition value. So I feel good all day. I don't have these dips in the middle of the afternoon where I feel like I need something sugary to make me pay attention again. You know, there was all these habits that I had that I had to undo. But the only way to undo them was to learn a new healthier habit to replace it with. And uh, that set in motion two years. It was a two-year journey of just trusting that if I did the right things every day, good things would happen long-term. Sure enough, two years later, I remember waking up one day. Normally, I'd have this ability of creating a list of things to do every day. And I remember this day I got up. I didn't do my to-do list in the morning. I didn't make a little goal sheet for the things I wanted to accomplish in that day. 
like my workout, my morning smoothie, you know, three liters of water, like just basic stuff. And I realized I didn't make a list that day, but yet I did all those things. And that's when I realized I had a new lifestyle. I wasn't thinking about it anymore. I wasn't thinking, gosh, I got to do this and do this and do that. I was just living my life. And that was just something that was automatic. My subconscious was taking over. And that's when I really knew that change not only happened, but I was the instigator of it by trusting that if I kept doing the right things, that the right results would follow. And sure enough, it did. So by 17, you know, this is a very valuable lesson that I learned. Now, of course, I can articulate this now. And had you asked me back then at 17, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what was going on. I could have told you what I was doing and how those things were making me feel, but I wouldn't have been able to articulate it this way, really bringing psychology into the conversation. Um, that's the one thing that wisdom and age provides us is the opportunity to reflect back on things and, and, and pull out those learnings. And, uh, I'm very grateful I experienced that at, by 17 because I then realized that change is just a process. And anytime we want to navigate change, we can either choose to be the champion of change for our lives or we can feel like a victim and change is out of our control. It largely is, but there are always something that we can do that can help make the change not as drastic, if you know what I mean. And, and this is when we're feeling like a victim of change. There's always things that we can do to lessen the blow to navigate it from a more healthy place. So when we come out on the other side, we're not feeling so bad about ourselves or feeling like we failed or we might have missed an opportunity. It's like, I did the best I could with the situation I found myself and here's what I learned and here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. And, and so it's that shift in mindset, right? From, from victim mentality around change to a champion of change. And uh, that that's really the best way I can explain it. Uh, thanks for sharing your story and what you went through during, during those years. Yeah. It's a great example. You could be a, a, a victim of change or a champion of change. The choice is up to you. Change is going to happen and you have to accept it and you, you got to figure out how to deal with it. Um, you know, you went through a tough time. Your parents divorced when you were 10 and which for 10 year killing is really, really devastating. So, and, and you felt like a victim at the time of the circumstance. So what you did, you indulged in food, video games, and movies. Um, you had some short term really basically you would try to deal with it. It was, it was your way of medicating yourself, trying to deal with the situation. And you did this for five years until one day your mom took you to the doctor. And your doctor said you were morbidly obese, which you didn't understand, but you knew it didn't sound good. So, you know, because you were going through depression, you had negative thoughts, mental anxiety, all kinds of you know, tough things you were dealing with. But then you decide you were more afraid of not getting healthy than of getting healthy. And you wanted a girlfriend, which you know, when you're a teenager, lots of guys want. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you want a girlfriend. So but you realize you had to be healthy, you had to look better, you had to slim down. And then you did that. And what you learned over the course of the next couple of years was um, you were replacing bad habits with good habits. And you changed that. And then after two years, and you, this, this, you had a long-term outlook. You did this for two years. And this is very important, not just in dealing with life and becoming successful in everything. So many people have this instant gratification attitude. And if it doesn't happen yesterday, they just stop. But if they try it for a few months or a year or two, and they're just consistent with it, you may not see the results immediately, but long-term you will. So you did this for two years, and then you, then one day you did stuff without going over your to-do list, your, your checklist. You realize, because it becomes so ingrained in your subconscious mind, you were doing it naturally. You realize you'd replace these bad habits with good habits, and that's when your life started changing. You, started, you, you say you do right things, and right results will take over. 
And again, I love this change is a process. You could be either a champ or a victim. And and your story and the thing you just shared reminds me of something I learned from my mentor, Jack Canfield. He has a book mm-hmm. called The Success Principles. His very first principle is take 100% responsibility for your life. Now, you may have no control over the events that happen to you, but you have control over your response to the event. And that's why you are power wise. So he has this equation, E plus R equals O. Event plus the response is your outcome. Your outcome is not just the, the event, but it's your response to the event. That's why people can have different outcomes to the same event because they have different responses. So you chose a certain response, and because of that, you got a good outcome. Whereas a lot of people in your situation, they probably would have done something. They might have continued that, and they might have had a, a much more negative outcome as a result of it. So um, so this is very powerful because you realize you can do, you can make changes, you can make positive changes, and you can replace good habits with bad habits. And I'm sure you've used this in, in, in your career. So you talk about how uh, you know how you use some of these habits, this thought process, this mindset uh, when you were building your businesses. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, you mind talking a little bit about that? How you yeah, utilize this? Sure. In your, in your, you know, especially doing peak performance. You know, because I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of people, one of the reasons they're not doing peak performance is because they have a lot of bad habits in their businesses. <laughs> so I'm sure you're with some of the things you're working with them is to replace some of these good habits in their business. I mean, bad habits in their business and replace some good habits. Well, I, I appreciate you brought up Jack Canfield because also, you know, he's someone that's also been quoted to say, you know, the way we do anything is the way we do everything. Yep. And and I love that quote because it is very, very true because it speaks a lot to our mindset and our perspective, you know, on life, on business. And and what I find most interesting about human beings, especially entrepreneurs, is when you look at their businesses and you look at their lives, the common denominator is the individual. And so we have to first look at what is the individual's habits, you know, what what is brought them to where they are currently and is that going to continue to, you know, bring them forward towards whatever vision that they have for themselves, per, both personally and professionally? Because I find the two visions do have to work synergistically. Because again, it's one common life that's going to experience both sides of that. And, and that's why I don't often, I often blend the two. You know, I know it's easy enough, especially bigger the organization becomes, it feels more like its own entity. But as an owner operator, or at least still an owner, you know, a lot of our own DNA and belief and perspective is still part of that DNA that that business was formed around. And so recognizing that our own health, especially our mental health as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as leaders within the organizations that maybe we founded or co-founded or now are operating, uh, we are a big influence in that. And are we showing up from a positive place, a supportive place? And I find if we aren't supporting ourselves, this is where this idea of self-care and, you know, there's a, 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 it's more of a cliche now than anything, but I still think it's a very poignant example is you take the airplane example, you know, if you're sitting on a plane and those emergency masks drop down because you've all of a sudden lost altitude suddenly, oxygen, there's a concern around that. They drop those oxygen masks. And what do they say? They say, please help yourself before you help others. Mm-hmm. right? Put your mask on first, because if you become incapacitated, you can't help anybody else either, <laughs> you know? And and the same goes with our business. That same example plays out very loudly. You know, as I realized very early on in my career, especially when we were scaling, was a lot of what I would say, but more importantly, how I would do. The things I was doing was modeling 
and mentoring to my teams, my organization. And if I was doing things that were out of alignment to some of my values, it was amazing how sometimes those habits would get picked up by others that were watching. And I know that those aren't the habits that's going to allow us to grow and to continue to serve our customers and clients in a great way. As an example, I remember getting to a place where my drinking became just much more frequent and without less reason. And what I mean by reason is it's one thing to have a wine and dine with a client or a supplier comes in from out of town and we do some staff training and then they want to go out and have a lunch or a dinner together and we might share a bottle of wine. But when all of a sudden I recognized I was looking for excuses to have an extended lunch or a dinner, or I'd want to have another drink for myself. So I would buy another round for the table because in buying drinks, for everybody else, it gave me permission to have another drink. And what I realized, you know, it took me many years to realize this. And it was fortunately for my wife that pointed it out when I made some big, big changes 13 years ago. And actually, for those who care about that, that's what my TEDx talks about is that change I went from basically just eliminating alcohol from my life and what it allowed me to do after the fact. And, uh, you know, it's tough when we start to notice how we affect our businesses and our habits are directly affecting the business. You know, it, it takes a great level of of transparency, but also honesty. And right back to your first law of Jack Canfield said about being 100% uh, accountable to our own lives. Well, same what goes to our businesses that we run. You know, we got to be 100% accountable to that too, because it is our DNA that makes up the DNA of the business. And if our DNA is coming from a place that's not 100% healthy, in fact, maybe there's some toxicity around that. You know, maybe we don't treat others the way that we expect them to treat us. And so can we be begrudging of the business if they take on that as one of its values? Well, no, we have to look at the source. And so I recognize just on the high performance question to sort of close the loop on this, because I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, Victor, because I know you're you're a, a forever student of personal and professional development. So I know you have lots of insights for this, but this idea around our businesses and our health and its effect on the business, I find that when I work with the individual, and I help them get to a healthy place, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. All right. So a holistic health, right? And when they're in that better place, holy smokes, do they show up differently for their businesses and everybody that's attached to the business and vice versa. When you show up to the business in that new way, all of a sudden you start to see things that maybe before were a challenge. Like maybe you've got that tough manager that's just always wanting to rebut you, <laughs> you know, always questioning everything that you're trying to, you know, inspire them to do. When all of a sudden you just start showing up a little bit differently, they might react a little bit differently to you. And it's hard to see that when you're in it. But once you get through on the other side or you work with a mentor or you have a, a consultant come in that maybe is that innocent third party that gets to observe things, you'll learn that the way you show up impacts the business hugely. I'd almost say almost in my experience, when I showed up, my business partner showed up in a high uh, energy way and an authentic way and wanting to serve our teams and help the clients and made that the promise and well as the focus intentionally, we noticed everything got better. Everybody became much more aligned and together, um, but it had to start with the individual. Because if it, it, and that top-down approach, I find works really well in organizations that are working with the smaller ownership group. You know, you can do that. Um, but yes, back to you. You know that Canfield Law, 100% accountable not only to your life but to your business too. You know. No, and I totally agree with that. I, the first thing I thought about is a, a statement by Richard Branson. They asked him, what, "What what would you recommend to people who want to become billionaires?" And the first thing he said was exercise. 
You said basically, get, yeah, it's a, you know, get healthy. You know, you have so, to be healthy both physically and mentally, spiritually, psychologically. It, it impacts you know, your entire life. And and mm-hmm. not just your company. I was just thinking about parents. Those are parents. Your children pay attention more to what you do than what you say to them. You tell them one thing, that's right. but they see you doing something else. They're going to copy what you're doing. The same thing at your company. You're running a business, any kind of business. Your employees or your partners, your distributors, they're watching what you do. So if you tell them to do that, go make 10 calls. You're making no calls. Well, they're saying the boss isn't doing it. Why should I do it? They say, but if they see the boss doing these things, then they're going to follow it. So they're watching everything that you do. So how you treat the business, how you treat the people, everyone is watching. And a lot of times, I I don't think a lot of people at the top of the chain are not aware of that. So that's very, very important because people are watching what you do much more than what... um, than what you're saying. And you shared the examples about when you were drinking, having an extra drink or extended lunches, and then your wife told you, you know, they all pointed these things out to you. So you stopped it, uh, I think about 13 years ago, I think you mentioned. Um, and, you know, and, and, and you, know, you get rid of it. And, and you, know, you shared this vulnerability. So, you know, I also like to just talk a little bit more about that, you know, after I finish my con, but because um, it's very important to be vulnerable. I mean, uh, be relatable to people. I think it's also very important mm-hmm. because if, if, if people can see your struggles, what you've been through, what you've overcome, you've shared that, and, and I appreciate that. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I like having people like you on the show when people see some of the struggles you had, you overcome, they say, "Wow, I'm going through some of the, the same stuff he went through. If he can do it, then I can do it." So you know, your story and the stories of many other entrepreneurs who struggled, they can inspire people. So you know, I definitely love that. You got to be healthy. Your health is totally right. I went through a stage where I was a big coffee drinker. Uh, I'm a recovering mm-hmm. coffeeholic. I stopped seven <laughs> years ago because I went through something called adrenal fatigue. It really sapped oh, out my adrenal glands, which, oh, which boy. yeah, really the cortisol level shut up. I, I got tired, but I couldn't sleep. I had bad insomnia. I've been off it oh. for seven years, and hopefully I'll never have another trip coffee. I love to taste the coffee, <laughs> but I will never have it. But what I what I learned getting over it was, I just drank water throughout the day, and I had steady energy throughout the day. When I was drinking coffee, I would have, I would, I'd be hyper, and then a couple hours later, I'd crash, and I'd have another cup of coffee. It was like I was taking a drug. And but once I got off yeah. coffee and I got over that, man, I have steady energy throughout the day. So I, I and, and 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 you know, so I'm much more productive. I'm much more aware of things. So I don't have that. I I don't have to. I need to take a rest for an hour or two. I don't have to take a nap because I have the steady energy throughout the day. So I, I agree. Your physical, mental health, health uh, well-being, your psychological, spiritual, all that, they all work. So it's taking a holistic approach is very important. I think people need to pay focus. Here's the thing, because a lot of times people don't pay attention to their to their health until they're sick. And that's that's mm-hmm. the time you shouldn't. You should be that's thinking right. about it all the yeah. time. But uh, but if your health is, is, is taken care of, everything else will fall into place. And I think that's what you have discovered. Is that correct? That's spot on. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing, right? Like when you really not just notice it, but feel it and experience it. Cause again, that's our deepest sense of learning, right? Is when we actually do it for ourselves and, and experience the results that not only we produce, but what, you know, and, and it works both positively and negatively, right? Like it's our negative habits or the habits that aren't necessarily bringing us closer to a goal, but actually detract us from reaching the goal. It's also being able to recognize those limiting patterns, and, and being able to say, you know, this this is something that's not serving me. What would life look like without this? You know, would I be able to achieve what I'm honestly working towards achieving? Would it Will it come a little bit easier? Well, I can say one thing for sure. It'd be one less 
stopping block, right? Or stumbling block, as they often refer to. It's one less speed bump in the road. So at the very least, it might even things out a bit. So maybe attaining the goal can happen a little bit more quickly, or at least have more fun going for it, right? And, and, and but it, it's such a subtle thing. You know, like little changes are actually the ones that tend to create the greatest amount of impact when you look at the compounding effect over time. And and it, we are very aware of this on the negative compounding side of things, because I, as I remind my clients, it's like, hey, it's fine if you have that extra glass of wine every day. I'm not here to say yes or no. I mean, according to the blue zones, one glass of wine a day is actually good for longevity, right? And and some people will take that that scientific backing as, as got, uh, dogma. I often call it dogma, but dogma uh, from the standpoint that, you know, okay, science has said it's good for me. So what if I have two or three? I mean, they haven't read the small print, right? So <laughs> it's it's this idea of manipulating the data to be self-serving. And hey, listen, the, the, the world goes around that way at times. But what I invite people to do is just look at the, the hard data, right? And a glass of wine a day isn't considered unhealthy. In fact, it's been shown to be healthy. Now, they do use red wine in that study, and they use organic sourced red wine without all the fillers and the additives. And uh, so do recognize there's different qualities of red wine. But here's the thing. If you have one glass of red wine a day, and that this is say calorie wise, we're all got an optimal amount of fuel that's required for us to thrive every day. If you're going to overfill that tank, even by just 100, 150 calories a day. Just We're talking about a little bit too much into the gas tank every day. Well, our bodies have a thing that says, oh, too much fuel. We got to store that for later. That little 150 calories a day, when you compound that over a year, this translates to about seven to 10 pounds of weight gain. Over one year, one little innocent glass of extra wine a day. That is negative compounding. Now, you know, Einstein said there's two extremely powerful forces in the universe. And in fact, he said they're the most powerful forces. One is the power of love. Two is the power of compound interest. <laughs> okay, so, you know, there's something to compounding, but it can work for us in our favor. So recognize by making good decisions, good choices, as seemingly small as they may be every day, like drinking three liters of water a day, going for a 30 minute uh, walk outside every day. You do that, those two little things, just those two. Walk for 30 minutes outside and drink three liters of water a day. If you do those two little things and you do that for the next 30 days straight, I challenge every single person that's listening or watching this to come and tell me they didn't experience some positive changes in the, that first month. Because I already know, I know. I've been doing this for 20, almost 30 years, right? Like, I know, <laughs> I know. I don't need science to prove it. I want you to experience it. Because if you have one positive experience with change and your impact of making that change happen by being consistent with some habits, you can see that you've learned a process that you can repeat in other areas in your life. And that is the secret sauce. It's developing that self-belief and confidence that we can do it. Like it's us that do the change, you know? And, and that is what I mean by that shift from victim mindset to champion mindset when it comes to change in our own lives. Yeah, and a lot of it comes down to his work on your subconscious mind because people don't realize yeah. the subconscious mind makes like 95% of the decisions. We think it's our conscious mind. It's not. It's a subconscious mind. That's really the ruler. And you got to program it like you program your computer. And a lot of, unfortunately for many people, for most of their lives, they've had negative stuff pro programmed into it. That's so right. you got to yeah. start replacing that negative stuff with positive, good stuff. And that takes time. But it can be done because many, many people have done that. And I like what you said about the compound effect. Number one, Einstein, you mentioned Einstein. 
He called it, I believe, the eighth wonder of the world. And you can eighth say, wonder of the world. That's right. Yeah, spot on. Thank you. Thank you for that. I was trying. I was stretching. I was like, why did he call it? There was actually, it was a real catchy, like, quip, yeah. right? Yeah, thank you. That that was great. That was great. Yeah, and it's powerful. Like you said, it could be used to help you, but it could also be used negatively to hurt you. So if you're drinking too much wine, too many calories, you know, eating an unhealthy diet. The thing is, people, if, if you had a heart sick after eating a couple of Big Macs, you would stop eating. But you don't see the results yes. of eating the Big Macs meal. It's over the course <laughs> of many months and years. The heart disease yeah. and the cancer doesn't happen to me. That's why people's like, oh, nothing happened. I went to McDonald's three times last week. But the compound effect you feel over the course of a number of years. Same thing when you're eating healthy. People like saying, well, I ate healthy for uh, two days. I didn't lose any weight. Well, like, it takes time. Anything or lifting weights, you know, if you want big muscles, that takes time to best. It's compounding consistency, little action taking over a long period of time. That's when you see the results. And unfortunately, as we mentioned before, too many people are impatient with it. They and yeah. so the people have to learn to and 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 I read this study saying that a lot of times kids, when they learn instant gratifications, they're very they, they're much more likely to be unsuccessful because they don't know how to be patient and becoming successful. So uh, an oh, important for those of the parents that. listening to it, you know, teach your kids to be patient and to try, teach them not to fall for the trap of instant gratification because it's going to hurt in the long run. They tend Thank to you. succeed much more when they don't have instant gratification. But when they do, they're much more likely to fail. So very important. So yeah, again, the compound that can help you, but it can hurt you. So uh, you need yeah. to look at everything long term. So that's some very powerful. So make good decisions and that self-belief in yourself. Work on it and, and get you surround yourself with people that are positive, that are successful, and that can help you. If you're surrounded by negative people, you know, Jim Rohn said you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Look at who you surround yourself with. If they're detracting from you, you may want to get a new group of friends. So um, that is some good stuff. Now, as we're getting toward the end of our interview, do you have any other last pieces of advice for our audience? You know, change, I know I, I keep harping about change, but I, I know we sort of alluded to this idea of vulnerability as well. And and, and I think, you know, I, I try to, I invite people to look at vulnerability in a positive, constructive way. Now, I know that there's an association with the word and some of us might have a negative association with this idea of vulnerability. And I know my friends that work in IT, internet technologies, uh, they'll be very quick to say, vulnerabilities are bad. You know, don't know. We don't want vulnerabilities. It means your systems, uh, you know, can be attacked. My site was just hacked as an example. Uh, they fixed it now. Malware, damn it. Uh, but anyways, um, you know, vulnerabilities in certain contexts is seen as a negative. But what I'm talking about is from the human experience standpoint. And I believe that vulnerability is a skill that any one of us can develop as human beings. I, 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 I'm I, a big proponent that it is a skill, but it's a human skill. It's not a man skill. It's not a woman skill. It's not a, a, a gender neutral skill. You know, like, uh, it, listen, even though I'm a man who identifies as a man, I, I listen, there's lots of different, and I believe in gender fluidity. I've got no problem with that. I've got two teenage daughters that are advocates for this. So listen, I get, I know what I'm talking about here, but Here's the thing. I'm just talking as a man who, who who identifies as a man. And I know for myself, my association with vulnerability and being vulnerable was very negative. I, it wasn't role modeled to me by my association. It was never mentored to me. And, and please keep in mind, our brains aren't wired to be happy, but they're wired to learn. And the two most effective ways we all learn, which Victor's already alluded to earlier, you mentioned children watching us, because you're right, it's modeling behavior as well as being mentored around behaviors or beliefs or whatever, that's how we learn. It's the two most effective ways. And if you think about how you've ever learned anything, you went to school, 
You got some mentorship from a teacher. You modeled the exercises that they were doing, and then you tried to repeat it yourself, right? So it, we, we know that this is true. But this can also work on the negative side, right? We can be mentored and, and we can model poor habits. And for myself, when it looked at vulnerability and this idea of, of opening up and being transparent or honest and integral with certain people, I believe that in doing so would leave me open to be taken advantage of. I believe that people could use some of those things that I'm sharing that are very personal at times, and they might turn around and use that against me. It would be leverage that they could have on me. Now, if that's your relationship with this idea of opening up and being honest, and we're being open and honest from a place of wanting to develop deeper connection and understanding, that's a different motivation. Because I, I, I do argue, and I would maintain this point, and I invite others to, to challenge me on this, because if they've had a different experience, I'm open to that. But I look at my own life, and I look at those moments where I have been vulnerable, where I've opened up and I've been truthful. It's been amazing that how that gave the other person permission to then, in return, also be vulnerable, also be honest. To also identify, yeah, you know what? I've been really having a, a hard time dealing with X, Y, Z. Like with myself with my alcohol consumption over 13 years ago. I remember opening up to a close friend and I felt embarrassed to open up about it. Okay, I did. Because from the outside looking in, it looked like I was living in a very fil filtered Instagram type of life. <laughs> but meanwhile, on the backside, it wasn't feeling that way. My relationship with my kids was, was very poor. My relationship with my wife was practically non-existent. And professionally, I started seeing how my choices, my poor choices, were affecting my, my business and my teams. As soon as I opened up about it, it was amazing. The person, my good friend, turned around and said to me, you know what? I used to struggle with this about five years ago. I had no idea. I had no idea that they were struggling with it too because they never told me. They never opened up about it. But here I am opening up with someone that was one of my best friends that you think I would know everything about. But because we were never really vulnerable about some of these sensitive parts of our lives, we just didn't know. But of course, I opened up to him and then he opened up to me and we had this deeper connection and understanding, but also just this, this place to move and grow from. And so keep in mind, when Brene Brown talks about vulnerability, and I, I always advise people, if you're an entrepreneur and you're in a professional space, go check out some of her content because it speaks about vulnerability in the professional workspace. It's not the same as in everyday life. I mean, if anyone's ever asked for a date from a significant other, you've learned to get vulnerable. Now, it might have made you really nervous, especially if you ask for a second date. That's being really vulnerable, right? Like, it's like, hey, I like you. Do you like me too? And, and sure, we have those experiences as kids where the person says, no, I'm not interested in you. We might feel rejected. So again, that's a negative experience with being vulnerable. So of course, we might shy away from it if that's happened to us a lot. But I want people to warm up to the idea that if we're vulnerable in controlled environments, we have the right intentions behind being vulnerable. We're not doing it for shock and awe to say, hey, look at me. But we're doing it to create deeper understanding and connection and maybe influence positive change, not only for ourselves, but those around us. That's a great motivator to get better at understanding vulnerability, but also being a proponent that adapts it as a useful skill in your life. So that's my only two cents on that. Obviously, there's lots more content out there. There's greater experts and, and um, authorities in this space. I'm just someone that speaks to it from my experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're interested, check out my TEDx talk. It's, it goes a little bit deeper on this and some of the things that I experienced when I be, practice being vulnerable more. That's uh, very good. And I think, uh, I think as you share, when you started being more vulnerable with other people, they started being vulnerable mm -hmm. themselves and sharing with you. So it's amazing what happens. 
And you, there were a lot of things you didn't realize about these other people, but they were afraid to share. But when you were able to share your vulnerability, they were able to do that too. And I can tell you, a lot of people that are vulnerable with me, I'm able to open up with them as well with some of my vulnerabilities. Uh, so there's a lot of the successful people I know that I really look up to, they've shared their struggles. They shared their vulnerabilities, the things they that hurt, that, that the things that they wrong, the things they struggle with. And, and, and I can identify because I went through some of the same struggles. So you never know, as you describe your experience, some of the people, many people out there going through the things you went through. And that's why, you know, they can relate to you. They can identify with you. If all you talk about is all the success you have, all the great things you've done, you've never had any problems, never, never had issues, never, never no struggles, no diseases, no, no, no breakups, no getting fired, going bankrupt, whatever. You've never had any of those bad and negative experiences. They're going to say, I can't identify this person. Everything is perfect in their lives. But when you see the struggles, you're like, you know, you went through a struggle, your parents got divorced. You went through a time where you were eating, you know, video games, and you were morbidly obese. You went through a struggle. You know, a lot of people can relate to it because a lot of people have gone through similar things that you have. And when they hear your story, they say, wow, I, I, I know what he's going through. I went through that myself. And he overcame it. I could overcome it too. So, you know, really some great stuff there about being vulnerable. Don't be afraid to. And like you said, a lot of people have never negative experiences with it, but there are also a lot of positive experiences that could come out of it. So right. definitely if you, especially if you want to be involved in business, anything like that, and, and when you're trying to become successful, people will be able to relate to you more if you're, if you're not afraid to be vulnerable. So listen, Di, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a great honor and pleasure having you on. You shared a lot of great stories. You know, I think a lot of people were touched by some of the great things you shared. And I think uh, people learned a lot from the great stuff you had to share on this show. And before we let you go, if people want to uh, get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Uh, well, I'm a pretty easy guy to get a hold of because I, I I manage all my own social media as well as the inbound messages. That's I, I I'm a big listen. I'm a big proponent for communication, and I people want to take the time to reach out to me. I want to pay them the respect they deserve, which is my honor of time. And so, if you want to have a conversation, I'm always totally cool to do that. Like if you're like, hey, I heard you and Victor talking, and you know, this is my favorite Jack Canfield quote. Hey, that's a great place to start, right? And and I'm most active on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And it's just my name, Dai, D-A-I, Manuel, M-A-N-U-E-L. I know it's a weird one. Welsh first name means David. Last name's Portuguese. But as I say to everybody, don't worry about it. I'm just Canadian. You know, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but reach out to me. And then my website, there's about 1,700 articles. I've been blogging since 2006, 2007. And it's just content to help people get out of their own way and have more fun that's all so dive in it's a bit of a rabbit hole though so so strap on your hat and, and get ready for the ride but uh enjoy it because there it's it's content that can help and uh victor i just want to say thank you to you i know sometimes as content creators a lot of what we do goes without thanks and without gratitude and, and that's just the nature because we do it not for that intention I know that we do it to help, to serve. We're not doing it for accolades or for affirmations or whatnot. Um, and I know you're not, you're creating content to help people. And I just want to say thank you for doing that because we need more spaces like this online, especially. I mean, the news owns the negative uh, media channels, but we have to offset the negative with some positive. And that's why we, I love podcasts like the one that you've produced, but also the, the content that you continuously put out. So I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. It's been amazing being here. You're welcome. I thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. And again, thanks again for being on the show. It was a great pleasure having you on, Di. Have yourself an amazing day. 
Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.